You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our praise this morning, God. And we can sing for hours and hours and it would still never be enough. We couldn't come up with enough words to describe how good you are, how faithful you have been in our lives, Jesus. But we give you these songs, we give you the praise this morning. And scripture tells us that you sit enthroned upon the praises of your people. So we worship you, our King. Continue to speak to our hearts today, Lord. We love you. And once again, you are worthy of it all. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We see in verse 1, Jesus saw the crowds. And as we've mentioned before, he had compassion for them. Consider the crowds today. Consider the people. Consider society. There's great mental anguish today. There's lots of fear today. There's much hatred. There's tons of dissatisfaction with life. We see it by what people seek after, what people go after. Today, people are going after being powerful. They're going after money, believing it was satisfied. They're going after uh, to be noticed. Uh, today, there is a unbelievable amount of opinion sharing that's going on, and social media definitely makes that possible and you see the narcissism just jumping off the pages when people are more opinionated, more smarter, know more, understand more going on. Everybody seems to want to have a say today. I think that just like then, when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw them, first of all, as hurting financially, hurting uh, under the oppression of the Romans, hurting under the oppression of the religious system they were under. I mean, 635 laws you got to keep to be right with God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine every single day working as hard and diligently as you can to not break any of the rules? And if you break a rule, you're guilty. You're, 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 you're doomed. There's no hope. And every day you wake up trying to be perfect. Every day you wake up trying to do better. And it's just, uh, it's a vicious cycle that's taking place. And you see it going on today. You see today a great deal of wrong is right and right is wrong. All around us, people are just in difficult, difficult situations. Um, all of us uh, are impacted in some form or another. There's not any of us that is not touched on a weekly basis by hurt and pain and oftentimes unnecessary anguish from people. And so just like then, I think now, Jesus is building his disciples to go to the crowds. And when you begin to see the kind of people that Jesus went after and what he did in those people, I think it helps us understand, uh, help us to recognize, to notice what the Holy Spirit is doing in us today to get us where we need to be so that each week we can make a difference in the crowds, that we can give hope, that we can give truth, that we can, that we can be loving, 
that we can show people what grace is like. We can show people what forgiveness is like. And we can be people of the good news. And it, it takes certain qualities to build in us to, for the long haul to persevere as people of the good news. And, and in Christ, we are people of the good news. And so he saw the crowds, he goes up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and we already looked at the first three of the Beatitudes, and each one you see the word bless. Bless means that they are at peace without any regard to circumstances. That's powerful, that's strong. Only the Son of God can bring that about. Only the, the supernatural can, can make that happen. I mean, the idea that blessed are the poor in spirit, that's a promise. That if you're poor in spirit, you'll be blessed. Only Jesus can make that happen. Money can't do that. Prestige can't do that. Fame and fortune can't do that. Uh, being noticed can't do that. And so that's a strong, strong promise that Jesus is making. And it's obvious that the overwhelming trait that Jesus wants of his people is for them to not be uh, uh, tossed around by circumstances. He, doesn't, he knows that if he's going to be able to make a difference to the crowds, he's got to raise up people that are, are pretty strong, pretty tough, and, and they hang in there, they persevere. And circumstances don't get the best of them. We need to be really careful when circumstances get the best of us, and, and we all struggle with that. There's not any of us that doesn't struggle with circumstances getting the best of us from time to time. But one thing you know for sure, that if, if you're having thoughts, if you're having ideas, if you're having awarenesses, that the Lord, that, that there is a force, there is an energy that is at work to get you to the place to where you are content, that you are, that you are attached to the vine and that you're being fueled by him and, and you're finding yourself as time goes on that you're less, uh, uh, you're less influenced by circumstances, that's the Holy Spirit at work. And if you can take some inventory and think about that and, and give that some consideration, you perhaps can go back and, and, and begin to see, well, that must have been the Holy Spirit. That must have been the Holy Spirit teaching me. When I had that thought, that must have been the Holy Spirit. When I had that awareness, that had to have been the Holy Spirit helping me to, to become more content in Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's obvious because each time here in these first 11 verses, we see the same thing. Blessed, blessed, blessed. A contentment, a happiness, a peace that is present regardless of circumstances. Now, the regardless of circumstances is this. What we're going to see as we go through these verses, Christian people go through hard times. The fact that they are Christians mean they go through hard times. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be hated. They're going to be treated unfairly. And so Jesus is at work here on the top of that mountain, teaching the disciples, preparing them, giving the, them the information and the understanding they need to have to go into the crowds and make a difference. And we see here the first three, and we see these are the kind of people, these are the traits that Jesus desires of his people. They are poor in spirit, poor in spirit. They recognize that they can't save themselves. They are not full of themselves. If you're poor in spirit, you recognize that your sin separates you from God. 
And so you recognize that you need a Savior, that you are helpless without Him. And so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs the kingdom of heaven. So he wants his disciples to know that they need salvation, they need Jesus, they need a Savior, and that they are going to heaven. There may be days, there may be weeks, there may be months. For some, there might even be years when, man, the only thing you got is you're going to heaven. And you look around you and things are really, they just, they have collapsed in your life. And they've fallen apart. And, and you wake up in the morning and go, I just don't know if I can go another day. But I do know that I'm going to heaven. And so I will move forward. I will continue to live by faith and trust the Lord. I've got that going for me. I'm going to heaven. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And we know this talks about, remember, grieving over our sin. We recognize, he wants his people to recognize that their sin has been against God. And that we deserve punishment. We deserve condemnation. We have done nothing to earn God's uh, uh, grace. We, we can't, there's nothing that we have. As Isaiah says, our works is like filthy rags to God. But we mourn over our sin. And in, in, in that mourning, that grieving over our sin, it says we shall be comforted because it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And so the first two things here are very clear. He, he wants his people to be grounded in salvation. He wants his people to be grounded in grace. Grace. He wants his people to wake up every day and realize the wonderful gift they have been given. They could not save themselves. Their sin separated from them from God. Their sin, their sin deserved condemnation, complete punishment, but that's not what they got. They did not get what they deserved. And so what's that going to do? That's going to elevate the understanding of grace in our lives. That's going to elevate the understanding in our lives of mercy and love, unconditional love from our Father. We sang a while ago, does the Father love us? Yes, He does. And I mean, his children that are going to go out in the world, they've got to have a strong dose of that. Does he love us? Yes, he does. How do you know that he loves us? He gave us Jesus, died on the cross for us. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. And so, yes, he loves us. He showed us how much he loved us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so the very first two principles here, Jesus wants his disciples to be strong in salvation, to be strong in grace, to be strong in love, to be absolutely strong in receiving mercy. And they just simply know what they've got. Man, things may be upside down. Things may be, you know, just uh, tossy-turvy, just very difficult to see light at the end of the tunnel. It just seems to be so dark at times, but... The truth of the matter is, regardless of what I can't see, regardless of the lack of, of, of fixing problems in our lives, this is one thing I know for sure. I am absolutely secure 
in the love of God, in what Christ has done for you on the cross. I, ha I, I was poor in spirit. I received the gift of, et of eternal life, the gift of salvation. I grieved over my sin because I recognized my sin separated from me to God. But man, heaven is mine and I have been comforted in, in my spirit. And so he lays the foundation. He wants the disciples to know for sure about their salvation. He wants them to know where they are in relationship to him. And then we saw last week, blessed are the meek. So the third piece of, of understanding that Jesus is putting into his disciples to go and, and meet the needs of the world was he wants them to be meek, strength under control. And, and that word describes, we talked about a horse that's not bro broken. And, and, and it's strong and it's powerful and it's 1,500 pounds of muscle. And, and I mean, if you've ever ridden a horse, you ever ridden a cutting horse, I mean, that little twitch when it goes to the side is, it's unbelievable. I mean, it'll, it'll just, it'll, you just fall off. You'll break your neck on those things. They're so strong. They're so powerful. And, and I, I rode a racehorse one time. And I mean to tell you, that thing took off. And it was, it was like, whoa, it was like being in a, a souped up Ford or something. It would run. And you just, you could just feel the energy and the power from the speed from that thing. And, and let me tell you something, a horse that's not broken, you don't get in the pen with it unless you really know what you're doing. A, a bull that's not broken, you don't turn your back on him. Big Red, don't turn your, your back on Big Red. He'll get you. A billy goat that's out there that's, that's mad at the world. Don't turn your back on that billy right there. He'll, he'll gore you. And so you've got to be aware of it, careful. An animal that's strong, that's not broken, is a problem. And, and that's the imagery that Jesus is giving here in the idea of being meek. He wants his people to be broken. He wants his disciples before they can go out there and face that world. They have got to be broken and under his control. That's what he wants. We've got to be yes, sir, people. We've got to be whatever you want, sir, at your pleasure, Lord. I will serve whatever you put before me. I will be faithful to do what you want. And if we're not broke, and if we're saying, that's not fair, that's not right, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. Lord, let me question you on this. You're not going to make an impact in that world because the impact's got to happen in us first before we can make an impact in that world that's around us. So blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are under his yoke. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. We can keep his commandments, as we read last week. We can keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. Why is that? Because we have been broke. The Holy Spirit has taken us from where we are, strong in flesh, strong in will, and as the Holy Spirit begins to mold us and break us, he gets us to where he wants us to be. Faithful, obedient, trusting of the Lord. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And now in verse 6, the next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Same word, blessed. Peace, happiness, regardless of the circumstances. That's important to the Lord. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now, most likely, most of us really don't know what it's like to be really, really hungry and really, really thirsty, right? I mean, most of us in our society, we eat because it's time. Is that when you eat? That's when I eat. Yep. What time is it? It's six o'clock. It's time to eat. Are you hungry? No. Not hungry, but it's time to eat, right? What time is it? It's 11.30. It's almost lunch. It's almost time to go eat. Are you hungry? No, not hungry. Just time to eat, right? But if we, if we had experienced what it's like to starve, if we had experienced like what it's like to look in the cupboard and not have any food in there and not know where the next meal is coming from, we would understand the feeling that we would have in this situation. We would understand what it means to hunger. We would understand what it means to really, really be thirsty. You know, if you're walking out in the desert and you've gone a long time and you're out of water and you go two or three, four days without any water, if you've ever done that, man, that, that, that stuff just builds up in your mouth, that white stuff, you know, and you get dry and it's just nasty. And man, you get your headache and you can't make another step. And, and, and all you can think about is water and food. That's the hunger and thirst here. That's what he's talking about. When we crave righteousness, we'll be satisfied. Crave it. Crave. What, do you, what do you crave? What, what do you think about? What do you obsess over? What are you craving? What are you hungering and thirsting over? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So to hunger and thirst, first of all, you've got to feel it. You've got to know it. And, and you've got to put the effort into it. You've got to go after it. I mean, all of us in here today, if, if we'd gone a week without food, it'd be the most important thing in our mind right now. I got to get me a sandwich. I got to get something. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. He wants us to be hungry for him like that. If we haven't drinking anything in a while, I mean, the most important thing on our mind is water. It's going to be water. We're going to crave water. We're going to just absolutely be obsessing over where can I get some water? We're going to crave it. And so Jesus says that his people need to crave, need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The word righteousness is, is, is kind of a difficult term in the Bible to understand. There's really three different aspects of it. And, and there's not really a, a one clear definition of righteousness. There's legal righteousness. And that righteousness is that we are right with God through what Jesus has done for us. Paul talks about Abraham. Abraham believed God and God counted him as right. Righteousness. 
to be right with God. I am right with God, not through what I have done, not through what I've achieved, but by what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. That's legal righteousness. There's also social righteousness, doing righteous things, loving people, helping people, caring for people. Uh, today, the youth are going to go down to the refugee apartments and, and give away shoes and, and, and meet needs like that. That's social righteousness. That's doing the things that God wants us to do. It's being righteous and, and it's helping other people. We are to be socially righteous. God is raising up a people that care about other people. And, and one of the things that you know that the Lord's at work, if, if your capacity to care for other people is growing, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Don't fight that. Don't resist that. Don't squash it. Don't quench the Spirit's work in you. If you, if you have more capacity today than you had this time last month to care for other people, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to, be so, to, to practice social righteousness. But this is moral righteousness here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This moral righteousness is what is called sanctification. It's us becoming more like Christ. It's, it's the inside, outside change that happens. It begins in the heart, and on the inside, we begin to be different we begin to think differently. We begin to have love where there was hate, perhaps. We begin to have forgiveness where there was get even in us, that where there was uh, there is now joy, where there was unrest. And and on the from the inside out, we grow. That's called moral righteousness. We become more righteous in how we think and 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 how we process things and what matters to us. And, and we become more loving, we become more gentle. The fruits of the Spirit begin to really blossom in us and bear fruit. And, and forgiveness begins to take hold and grace takes hold. And all those wonderful traits that Christ is gives to us. And inside of us, it just, it just grows in us. And so what we hunger and thirst over is to be more like Christ. That's what we hunger and thirst over. We hunger and thirst over being more loving. We hunger and thirst over prayer. We hunger and thirst over joy. Man, we crave joy like we would crave water or food if we've been a long time without it. We just crave it. We obsess over it. That's, that's what Jesus desires His people to be like, that we crave that inside transformation, that it will take place and, and, and we feel it, we recognize it, and we put the effort into that. I mean, we can't get enough of His Word. We can't get enough of worship. We can't get enough of, of fellowship with God's people. We can't get enough of conversation about the spiritual things. We just can't get enough because every time that we, we attend, every time we practice, every time we open the Word, every time we pray, we become a little more like He wants us to be. And what He wants us to be is what we crave more joy, more love. We want love that runs over. We want joy that can't be contained. And, and we crave it. We crave it. People begin to say, man, they're a little off about that Jesus thing, aren't they? They're just a little bit strange with this Jesus thing, absolutely. Because we hunger and thirst over what the world doesn't even consider. Sure, we're strange. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Uh, 
for righteousness. Because he says, they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. Satisfied. So Jesus wants his people to go into the world like sheep among wolves, satisfied. Now, when you're satisfied, do you complain? When you're satisfied, are you selfish? When you're satisfied, do you get distracted? No. No, you're focused on what matters. When you're satisfied, and so when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we shall be satisfied. We shall be satisfied. I know in my own life, and I know in your life as well, one of your greatest needs is to be satisfied. And most likely, decisions you have made in your life, small or large ones, were all based on what you believe was going to give you the most satisfaction. Perhaps you went to college and, and became uh, uh, majored in a certain degree because you thought it would satisfy you, right? There's been a struggle with that. You weren't really sure when you were 18 what really was satisfaction was all about. And so you went down that road and, and you've been looking for it ever since, Right? I mean, you get married because you believe it's going to satisfy you. You take this job because it's going to satisfy you. You buy that car because it's going to satisfy you. you. You are involved in that hobby because you believe it's going to satisfy you. And, and most likely, every single one of us have, have had this happen in our life where we just can't get enough, right? Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16 says, Beware of the leech. Beware of the leech. It, the leech has two daughters. Give and give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Look at verse 13, 16. Sheol, that's the grave. The grave is never satisfied. The barren womb, never satisfied. The land, never satisfied with water. The old desert out there, it can just suck it all up. As much as it needs to rain out there, it'll just take it all in. Never satisfied. And the fire, fire that says, that never says enough. And if we're not careful, we'll be involved in things that will never say enough. There's never enough. There's never enough. There's never enough. Wants more. And we get into this horrible, vicious cycle where we just, we labor, we toil, we, 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 we spend unbelievable amounts of energy trying to be satisfied in things that will never be satisfied. Look in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We see there, now there is great gain in godliness. There is great gain in godliness in verse 6. Man, that's a neat statement. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Whoa. Need to pin that up on your, on your mirror. See that every morning. 
Godliness with contentment. Righteousness with contentment is great gain. The great gain is satisfaction. Jesus said that, right? So it's a wonderful thing. It is worthy of your obsession. It is worthy of your focus. It is worthy of your laser focused, laser beam focus to grow. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, nothing true in this, for we brought nothing in the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. <laughs> I mean, everybody's born the same way, naked. No banking account, right? Here we are, as we are, and we die the same way, don't we? No one's ever taken anything with them. Solomon says that one of the cruel things about life is people work themselves to the nub here in the world making this fortune, making this business, making this you know, enterprise, and when they die, their kids spend it all. They misuse it. They trade it in. How, how, many, how many developments around us they just waited till Grandpa died. And as soon as Grandpa died, what'd they do? They cashed in. Can you imagine if Grandpa, you, you work from sunup to sundown, building fence, fixing fence, taking care of this. Did you know that your little great-grandchild is going to come along one day and they're going to have all this and they're not going to respect anything you've done? They're not going to respect it. And, and Grandpa, you're going to die with nothing. And you're going to go on from here. The Amazon man, I hear he's the richest man in the world. You're probably going to get a package for him today. You're going to get dishwashing stuff from him today. He enjoys you very much. He enjoys us very much. We should have got into the box building business, what we should have done. He's, he, he's got enough money to go up into space. Richard Branson's got enough money to go into space. Elon Musk got enough money that they can be NASA today and go up into space. They're all going to die. That, that Rockefeller fella made all that money back in the day. He did. He's dead. He's gone. I mean, all the great people of history, they're dead. You know, it's fun to go through a museum and look at all those black and white pictures. All the people go, he did, he did, she did, he did. They're dead. They, they came with nothing and they left with nothing. That's, that's everyone's going to die. So you need to be putting your focus on what really satisfies. For we brought nothing in the world and we cannot take anything out of the world but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Anyone believe that? Does anyone here believe that if you've got food and clothing, and it's, not, it's talking about tractor supply clothing. <laughs> if, you've, if you just got, you know, Husky brand from Sears and Roebuck, that's a big deal. Going to go down to Sears Roebuck school starting getting some Husky. That's what my mom would do. Get that boy some Husky pants over there. You can be content with nothing. You can be content. 
you can be content with just food and clothing, not fancy clothing. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This scripture is teaching us that we need to be careful, need to heed the warning, be careful what you believe is going to satisfy. Because if you believe, in this case, if you believe that money is going to satisfy, you may be about to step into a bear trap. It may grab a hold of you, and it will tear your skin, it'll dig in your bone, and it ain't going to let go. And you're going to be out there in that field, and you're going to get gangrene in that, in that leg. And wolves are going to come, and those wolves are going to eat you for supper, and they're going to be satisfied, but you ain't satisfied. That's what the Scriptures here says. Be careful what you go after that satisfies. For he says in verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So, the pangs, the problems, the troubles, the piercings, the agonies, the anguish that people have, it is self-inflicted. It doesn't have to be. But because they believed that this, that, or the other was going to be satisfying to them, they go after it with all their heart, and they don't go after Jesus for the satisfaction. And they find themselves trapped. So, verse 6 says, Jesus satisfies. Won't you try Him? Once you try and lay aside everything that you're seeking after to satisfy, lay it aside. And hunger and thirst after righteousness. I think you'll find that Jesus satisfies. And once again, understand, this is important to Jesus. He's raising up an army. He's raising up disciples. He's, he's raising up people who are going to be really effective in the world. And he knows they've got to be satisfied. They can't be distracted. They can't be carried away with all these whims and all these ideas and all these get-rich get screams and all these opinions that are going to be thrown around. They've got to stay focused on what matters the most, and they've got to be satisfied. And so Jesus says, if, you'll, if you will hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be satisfied. Try the Lord with that. He is powerful enough. He is strong enough to satisfy. He knows you inside and out, and He knows exactly what you need to be satisfied in your life. He wants you to be satisfied. Just as you are, right? Seeking Him. Just as you are with all your heart, with your will, with your effort, with, with your focus, you just obsess over Him and go after Him. He will satisfy. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I believe Jesus at this point. Give it a shot.
Father, help us to open up to your word. May your spirit teach us and guide us. And Lord, just help us to get ready for what you have for us in mind, to go into this world this week, Lord, and make a difference to help people find love and friendship and grace and mercy. Lord, we, we have such a, a difficult assignment ahead of us to make a difference in people's lives who are hurting and, and, and twisted in their thoughts and their minds. And Lord, they're overwhelmed with sin. They're overwhelmed with prejudices. They're overwhelmed, Lord, with a lack of love. And Lord, so many, so many go through weeks without knowing just how wonderful and how awesome you are. Just, Father, give us a shot. Give us a chance to be your instruments of blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward, please.